This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode here on the Mindful Experiment. This is your host, Dr. Vic, and this week, we had a great interview with Robin Hill, Robin Hills, and we dove into some awesome things. Robin oh, loved this conversation, loved the energy he brings, emotional intelligence, emotional resiliency, mental resiliency, life-work balance. We broke down myths of those things. What does it really mean to have emotional intelligence, emotional resiliency? What is it, what's the myth about life, work-life balance? What I loved about this interview with Robin so much is the the aspect of the words, choosing the words and how they define and how we get caught up in certain words that get get blown across the world or become part of the matrix and the experience of life. And it holds us back and it doesn't mean something or it's unachievable, but it sounds cool. And so many people use it that eventually it becomes part of normal language. And then we don't realize it. Robin takes a great job of breaking those things down and really sharing with you the myths. And we I had such a wonderful conversation with him. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation as much as that I did. I'm actually looking forward to having him come back in the near future. So this will be a, definitely a part one. So without any further ado, here is my wonderful interview this week with Robin Hills. Robin, welcome to the show. Victor, it, it is wonderful to be here after such a long time. I, we've both been very patient getting to this point, but here we are, talking, there. chatting. Yeah, I'm, and I'm excited for all the listeners. It's been a while. We had some hiccups here and there and with scheduling, and but here we are. And uh, I'm excited to have you on. You're doing some amazing things, stuff with emotion, emotion, emotional resilience, emotional intelligence. It's all of a world that I just love. And I'm excited to dive into those those a lot of that stuff. But before we do, tell me a little bit what got you into this. What what, what led you? Uh, what path led you to where you are and what you're doing here today? Well, look. Let me be perfectly honest with you. When I started my career back in the early '80s, emotional intelligence was still in academia. Nobody had ever heard of it before. Everybody was really focused on people being cognitively intelligent, and the brighter you are, the the more success you will have. But I noticed that there were certain people who weren't necessarily academically bright, but had great achievements, and I couldn't work out why. And it wasn't until the mid-90s when Daniel Goldman published his books that I suddenly had that light bulb moment that said, Ah, this is the answer that I've been seeking. Well, it wasn't for another few years before I actually concentrated on emotional intelligence as a topic to specialize in. It came because my roles were made redundant a number of times. And I got to the point where I thought, do you know, I could make myself redundant here if I want to. Let's study emotional intelligence. Let's specialize in it. So I set up EI for Change, my company, 15 years ago. And it's just gone from strength to strength to strength. And the future is looking very, very optimistic and very bright. I love that. I mean, emotional intelligence is just huge for 
so many things in, in, in so many ways. And what's some of the, what are some of the things stuff top of your head when it comes to emotional intelligence that help us live, I guess, more success, I, I don't, I guess, successful lives. If I, uh, that's the term I'm not really liking right now, but it's just what's coming to me. So I'm going to go with that. We'll leave it there. Well, let's go for, with a successful life and then we can define what success means for everybody. But for me, it's a case of, well, it's all the good stuff that you do, Victor. It's it's all around well-being and people feeling very much in the present moment that everything is going as well as it possibly can. And there are going to be times when it doesn't. So how do we cope with that? And that's where emotional resilience comes in and emotional intelligence but before we dive further into emotional intelligence, I think we ought to define it so that your listeners know exactly what we're talking about. And you and I are on the same page. Emotional intelligence is not necessarily focused purely on emotions themselves. It's the way in which you actually combine your thinking with your feelings in order to make good authentic decisions and build up quality relationships and do so uh, in order to act act appropriately i like that that works beautifully well for me so and in in, in in a lot of times in life many people are being very reactive with their emotions and, and not thinking clearly right because you said being making authentic clear decisions from themselves does that mean authentic in the sense of I think of the word integrity when that comes up because it's what matters yes. most to you and what's like, what's your values and what's what, like I call yes. it codes, but things like that. You're choosing things based on your own value system rather than um, reacting or X, Y, Z, whatever that may be. No, that's exactly it. It's about having an understanding of your own values and your own morals, your own ethics and your own principles and aligning those so that they don't, cause problems for everybody else. Now, most people I engage with have the same kind of ethical principles. We want to do the best that we can do. We want to be kind. We want to ensure that we do the right thing at the right time with right people. Um, I know there are a lot of selfish people out there, but I think what we've got to do is just to allow them to, to be and work around them. If they're causing us problems, then it's up to us to make sure that we deal with the situation again in the most appropriate way and in the right time. So therefore, it's not necessarily very, very easy because sometimes situations and people and events will push you down a road that you think, I really shouldn't be going here, but I don't know how to extricate from myself from this because this doesn't sit comfortably with my ethics. It doesn't sit comfortably with my values. It doesn't sit comfortably with my principles and it's starting to cause me stress and anxiety. So true in so many ways. And I mean, you're going to, we're always going to run into certain people. And I love how you brought up too, like things in life are going to come up and it's how we can build emotional resiliency to things. So real quick, before we go into all those good things, what is the definition of emotional resilience or what is a being that is emotionally resilient? 
Well, it's interesting. We look at the word resilience. When I go back to when I started my career, it wasn't in the vocabulary. It's only come into the vocabulary over the last 40 years. Uh, resilience when I was a teenager is very much what resilience is now. And, and it's, it comes from material science. Let me take you back to your science classes where you were putting weights on springs and bits of elastic and you were measuring stress over strain to get what's known as Young's modulus. That's true resilience. And you get resilience also in crops. You get resilience where you've kind of got a, a, a disease free crop because it's got the capability of managing itself in order that it doesn't get the disease through certain things like genetics, environment, and a whole host of other factors that I won't go into. But it's now suddenly been applied, this word, to um, human psychology. So everybody is looking to be as resilient as they can possibly be. But if we remember that it's a metaphor, a metaphor that comes from uh, from material science, then uh, what we can do is to understand what resilience is. One myth I want to get rid of, resilience is not about bouncing back. Everybody talks about bouncing back. If you are being truly resilient, you don't bounce anywhere because we all undergo situations where like I say, it causes us anxiety, it causes us stress, and we've got to cope with it. And the way to do that is to have a clear focus on what you're trying to achieve in life. Knowing what your morals and values are and having the creativity and adaptability to work around that to put yourself back onto the path that you need to be on. I love how you bring that up because it's so many times you hear it and it's always in the motivational speaking world where there or self-help, like you get knocked down, you got to be resilient to get back up, mental resilience, emotional resilience, all these, it's just, I keep hearing that term for the last few years. And it's one of those things I'm like, okay, but that's in, in the world. And my understanding of things that creates resistance. And anytime you have resistance, that's not going to work well for you. And it's what you're kind of, and the way you're explaining things, the way I understand it in my world is it's, it's all about like that flow. Right. Yeah. Just the flow of life, because things are going to nothing, nothing is, you know, the happily ever after, enough. at least in the physical realm right now, how we're living and the way we live as humans, there's ups and downs, life is contrast. So we're going to deal, we're going to have those dark moments, but you brought something up that I always share. And I always have my clients go through this because when they're going through dark moments and challenges of life, whatever that may be, I always say, get back to your vision and get clear on what matters most of who you want to become and see it now. And I love how you brought that up because it's one of those key principles that we can get caught up in the storm or we can just get back and say, okay, life isn't that great right now, at least from what I'm experiencing, but I know this is where I want to go. And this is just, you know, how do you perceive it? How do you see it? And, and it move forward through that and not try to create resistance to say, I don't want to feel these things. Just breathe and get calm and then go move forward in that way. Sure, sure. And then, then to build upon that, look, there are going to be certain times and, and certain situations and certain relationships that we go through, which just do not feel good at all. So another myth that I really want to knock on the head yeah, is one that comes up all the time and people say it without even thinking about it. Um, the other myth that I want to really bring to the fore is around 
positive and negative emotions. Our emotions are psychological and physiological reactions to things going on in our, in our environment. They're not positive, nor are they negative. They are just emotions and what it's the behavior, it's the response that comes from those emotions that is either positive or negative, not the emotion, it's emotion itself. Now, with some of those emotions, let's define them in a different way. Well, with all emotions, let's define them in a different way. Emotions can either be pleasant or they can be unpleasant. And what we've got to do is to identify how we're feeling. I, I wouldn't go so far as to uh, say, identify exactly what the emotion is, which a lot of emotional intelligence practitioners do suggest you do. And indeed, I often suggest it. I think to, just to bring it down to a nice, simple way of uh, considering it is, am I feeling unpleasant at the moment? And why? And is it intently unpleasant? And why am I feeling pleasant at the moment? And why? And these things really help us to understand our emotions better and to regulate them. And from that, we can then decide whether the emotion, uh, can, we can use the emotion constructively or whether we use it destructively. If I may, if I may, Vic, if I can build upon that, oh, yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people will talk about anger and fear as being negative emotions. They're not negative emotions. Anger is a very positive emotion if we use it constructively to right or wrong. Somebody has transgressed one of our core values. Let's let them know. And this is what they can do to right that wrong. Fear. If it's so negative, why do we enjoy such um, uh, fear when we go on roller coasters and we go to see a horror movie? So let's reconfigure our thinking around emotions and think of them not as positive or negative, but pleasant and unpleasant. And then let's look at using them constructively to build relationships, to make good decisions or destructively. I, I so greatly appreciate you bringing that up because it's so true in so many ways. I mean, it's how, what you, how you see things is what it is. So if you think this is negative, then your mind can contribute that's to being bad and that's that purpose. But you brought something up that I, I, I didn't know, probably consciously. I didn't know how other outlet to use it. But when I had a lot of inner anger and, and frustration as a teenager, um, I would go take that to the gym and it was the weights. Yeah. And yeah. I would just channel that. What a wonderful way of utilizing those unpleasant feelings in a constructive way. And it worked out so well for me, but it was the thing that I can only find relief because I didn't want to do anything else. I didn't want to do it. I was just like, I knew I could just take all this, put it in a brute force and just, and then, and that's when I would do all this heavy lifting um, because I had to work through that stuff. Now it doesn't work as much for me anymore. Cause I'm like, I kind of <laughs> learned other simple techniques that I can do. Cause I'll try to rev it up. Sometimes I'm going to work out. I'm just going to go all in. And then afterwards I'm like, 
nah, it wasn't bad, but I, I'm still no. I just let me go meditate and do some breath work, and then I'm fine. <laughs> it's yeah. a whole different yeah, world it, now. <laughs> it really is a case of finding out what works for you, and what works for you doesn't work for me. But just recognize you need to actually create some space with for yourself in order to work things through and work through the emotions and. I uh, look the the example that I often use with people around uh, unpleasant emotions and using them constructively. Uh, you're going along to do a presentation to a a group of people who are very very important. They're either say the board. You've got to go along and present bad figures to the board you are not going to feel pleasant you're going to have a bad night the night before coming on to speak to my friend Vic Manzo this uh, this afternoon as it is in the United Kingdom here I wasn't feeling particularly pleasant I was feeling anxious good because I need that anxiety to funnel it constructively so that we have a good conversation and if I don't feel that emotion then I really start to feel another unpleasant emotion I start feeling worried because I'm getting a little bit complacent so it's not a case of eradicating all these unpleasant feelings it's just recognizing that uh, emotions will ebb and flow we will feel really good about certain things at certain times and at other times we won't feel so good. But how are you going to keep yourself psychologically fit and psychologically safe? And how do you do that in the best way for you? I love that. No, again, and I love the whole unpleasant, pleasant thing. It's so simple and so easy to use, but I love how you bring that up too. Cause like fear, uh, I know when I have to go do like a, a, a big, like speaking event and it's going to be a big one or something along those lines. <laughs> My wife will like, she'll see me. She'll like, you're, look, you're looking like you're a little anxious. You got some anxiety in you. I'm like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm this, I'm, I'm hoping I can do this. this is what I'm going to focus on. You know, I'm just, I'm just going to give it all. And she goes, I know you're going to do amazing because when you get to that state, you know, somehow know how to channel these things. And we've been together for 10 years now. So she, she's seen me speak many times. And she's like, when she goes, when you're like that, I know you're, you're going to go beyond certain limits. She goes, when you're like, oh, I have a speaking event. I can't wait to do it. That's going to be great. And this and that. And you're calm about it. She goes, I know that you, she goes, you you do well, but you're way better when I see you a little nervous and you have some anxiety yeah. going before. Yeah. And, and, and it's funny because it's true because that fear or that certain anxiety that comes up for me, at least I'll take that and go, okay, it takes my attention to detail to a whole nother level. And then it's like, I, I take that energy and I'm like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to make sure I'm checking the boxes here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, 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 and just, and it allows me to play at a higher level. And it's funny when I'm more nonchalant, more easy going with stuff, it, I'm not saying I don't perform well, but if you talk to me afterwards, deep down, I will tell you that when I have the fear and anxiety stuff going on, I perform way better than I do the other way around. And that is you being emotionally resilient. It's not about these pleasant feelings of calmness at all times. Oh, I am emotionally resilient. No, it's actually having these unpleasant emotions. Recognize that you need them in order to be emotionally resilient. Now, that goes against what a lot of people think resilience is all about. I couldn't, you know, it's one of the things I, I used to talk. So from a chiropractic perspective, I would always, you know, I talk about, we want to get you neurologically to be resilient. And again, resilient people think being like, hmm, I can handle this. I can take this on. I can do this or whatever it may be. 
And I would always say it's more or less um, just you being able to adapt to the flow of the life better, being able that's, to stay as exactly centered as you what can. It is. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's the terminology. I kind of like to think of it as just as adaptation. Um, but I think that's where, you know, again, it's, it's one of the things, how we define things is what it becomes. And I, it really, again, my background again is a lot in the energy and quantum physics realm. So when it comes to like resistance, I'm always like, no, you don't want resistance. Resistance means you're blocking things coming to you. Um, and when they talk about these kind of being resilient, it's aligned there, but your way of sharing it and, and what you're sharing there, it's like, I could feel just that nice easiness to it all. It's like, okay, unpleasant, pleasant. It's just adapting. It's seeing what comes. And it's just a, that's kind of like some of what the ancient, ancient wisdoms kind of, uh, the, the gurus used to say back then about the same thing about how to live life. Oh, well, very much so. And I wouldn't put myself or class myself with those gurus from the ancient world, but that's what I aspire towards. And certainly with, with maturity comes that perceived wisdom. So yeah, bring it on. So uh, the, the other um, thing that I think uh, is worth uh, bringing up and letting your listeners know about, I came across this concept uh, a few years ago um, of anti-fragility. And I think that that word uh, works far, far better than resilience. We are being anti-fragile. And what that means is that when you look at certain IT systems and engineering systems and computer systems, they have the ability to take in data and adapt and grow with the environment as it changes around them. So I think what we've got to do, instead of being emotionally resilient, we have to be more anti-fragile. I can, I like that. Uh, I'm going to borrow that term. I, I really do like that. You know? Well, it didn't come from me. Um, it was uh, an Israeli professor, uh, Professor Talab, and I can't remember his Christian name off the top of my head. Sorry, his first name off the top of my head. Um, he... Uh, Abu Tat, no, 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 I, I, I don't even want to, to, to guess it. Um, <laughs> but he, he wrote a, a wonderful book called uh, uh, Something to Do With, uh, and again, I can't remember it, but it's it's within the title Black Swan. Um, oh, so, I know what you're talking about. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've never read the book, but I, I, I could see the cover in my head. Yeah, uh, if that is the book that I'm referring to, that's where he refers to anti-fragility. Um, perhaps you could look it up for your listeners and drop it into the notes that goes with the podcast because it is a brilliant book. Um, I just have to apologize because it's gone. It happens. No, I'll have that for you. For the listeners, it'll be in the show notes for you guys. Um, yeah, no, that's that's a great term though because it's it's just... Yeah, adaptation, and the word adaptation comes to me too, but it's being able to be anti-fragile. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. What are what are some other myths? I mean, you got, these two right here, I think are just massive. It's a game changer uh, of breaking these things down. What are some other ones? Well, let me let me share another one with you that really follows on from what we've been talking about. And, and it's, again, it's a phrase that everybody drops into conversation without even thinking about it. And that's work-life balance. If you actually start to think about the term, it's completely meaningless because life isn't at one end of a fulcrum with work at the other. According to how things work within our society, 
you and I and probably most, if not all of your listeners, are stage in their life where work takes up a great proportion of your life. So it's not a case of, oh, right, I've finished work, now I can have some life. It's a case of actually saying, look, I'm working. You and I are working now. We're having great fun doing it. But whilst we're doing this, we can't be doing other things. We can't be with our family. We can't be uh, sunning ourselves on the beach. I can't go for a walk in the scenery behind me. But we can make the time for that. And it's important to build that into our lives in the most appropriate way. And there are going to be times when family commitments and certain social arrangements take precedence. And you then have to be very assertive within work and say, no, I can't do that because I am needed over here. Uh, you know, you have to go to the hospital. Whether you like it or not, uh, you have to go to the dentist. You have to go to the optician. You have, I have to go to the audiology clinic because I'm deaf. So whether we like it or not, we have to factor those things into our life. And often it coincides with work hours. So take them because there are going to be times when we have to stay a little bit late because we've got to hit a deadline. We've got to do a bit of work at the weekend. So you've just got to get the balance right. But the balance really is integrating work into your life rather than balancing work and life i love that so much because i used to i call it work-life harmony because yes. you like what you brought yes. up is something i share and from a health side and a mindset but the health type too i'm like you only have so much energy in a day what you can give to and sometimes some things are going to be more demanding others like you're saying what if you're healthy you have to go to merton you have to go do this or you have to do this or whatever it may be I'm like, it's all about where do you have to put the attention to and keep moving things around? It's not always going to be, um, you know, life isn't constant. It's always changing. So it's like your demands are where you need to go and what shows up in your life is going to shift also. So it's, again, coming back to not being anti-fragile with it, being more resilient than the way you're defining it um, in that process, but being able to move things around because life is not about balance in a sense, in the way we you're thinking of like, we just balance things out. I mean, studying the universe, you look at it, it's really organized chaos. It's it's so chaotic, but there's an organization to it, but it's so chaotic. The same thing with our bodies. It's a well, beautiful machine. I don't even want to say machine per se, but it's just a quantum machine, if anything. Um, and if you try, as a human mind tries to figure out all the things going on at one time, you're just like, wow, there's just so much happening. But there's organization, yeah. but there's adaptation, right? And so, and, and, and being able to be in more, I guess the, the word's harmony, unless you have a better term for me, I'm, I'm, I'm loving the terms you bring up. No, no, no. I think harmony works really well. I think we've just got to get away from this work, uh, this word balance. And uh, I often go along to speak with people and I mention this myth. And then about 10 minutes later, they just drop it into conversation again without even realizing what they're saying. Um, because if you think about it, the, the power of the words, you're actually reinforcing this myth of the fact that work has to be completely demarcated from the rest of your life. No, and that's the thing, too. I love how you brought it up. Like, we're working right now, but this is fun for me. This is fun for us. I know you're, you're smiling a lot. I'm smiling a lot. This is a lot of fun. And I'm like, this is part of my life. This is things that I enjoy to do because it's just like 
taking time to work out, taking time for this, taking time for family, taking time for sleep. Um, those are things that we, you know, when you do those things, if you enjoy them, like I love working out, I love challenging my body, I love challenging my mind, I love doing those kind of things. And those are things that help me. Um, you know, I take the time to, to, to try to balance, I don't want to say balance there, but to <laughs> keep it all in check and keep it growing. Cause where you put That's your energy exactly to what expands, it. right. Um, in that process. But it's like, I was having a conversation yesterday about retirement and I said, I'll never retire. And they were like, what do you, you'll never retire. Like, Oh, I'm going to retire. There's no way I don't want to just sit. I'm like, no, because there's, I only do things that I love. And I go, yeah. I got so many things I want to do. I'm like, right now, this is what I'm doing. I go in five to 10 years. I have no idea what I'll be in the next five. I mean, I have my vision of where I want to go, but yeah. I've learned I've learned in life. Maybe you can agree with this. The older you get in the, or more experience, I should say, because uh, age doesn't mean that. Um, the more experiences you get in life, the more I'm learning that like, it's great to have a plan, but um, just sit back and let life kind of dictate and tell you what's going to show what's might be better for you because um, letting it guide you in a way. Because a lot of times, like in life, we kind of get... When we get to the point of what we're doing, it's kind of like we danced around and then finally got to somewhere rather than just hit a straight line and go. Yeah, but let's let's look at goals and let's look at um, working with goals. Uh, and we can also um, we can also label it as a little bit of a myth as well, because if you too clearly define your goals and they are too specific, too smart too reasonable, too time bound, then you end up setting yourself up for failure. You've just got to have a really a goal. Um, you and I need to meet next Friday in London at Trafalgar Square at midday. That's a, a, a nice goal. It's all it fits all the parameters, but I haven't told you within that how you do it. And it could be that um, part of the week turns out that you can't you can't spend any time working towards that goal at all. So you don't beat yourself up because you're not able to attain the goal. You know what the focus is and you work and strive towards it. If it turns out on Thursday at 12 o'clock that you can't make it, then you just um, make all the arrangements that you need to make just to say, look, I can't be there tomorrow at 12 o'clock. Let's make it Saturday. Let's make it Sunday. So you just redefine it accordingly. Like that. It's one of the things I've done. That's why I focused a lot in my work with my clients and for myself too, is like on vision. I'm like, goals are great. You should have them. I do have goals. I don't really put a lot of energy into them. It's just like benchmarks to the big vision of what I want to create for myself. And then I've learned over time when we put time on things, it's our ego. That's our conditioning. That's our constructs. Instead, is. and I've learned this, and, is, and, and not always, I'm not going to say this always happens, but what I've learned is that when I don't put time on it, and I just learn to be more present, like I would say, you want to be a visionary looking into the future, but at the same token, you want to be present in the moment, right? So you see who you want to become in the future all the time, but you stay present. And I, what I've learned is that when I can do that, those visions or goals or whatever it is, not always but a good percentage of it, I would say majority of the time, it might be 50.5%, but it happens faster than I could ever imagine. 
Yeah. Yeah, but you've yeah, I think I think what people need to learn to do is to set more appropriate goals. And the key word there is appropriate. So set the goals, but make sure that you don't set yourself up for failure and make the goals um realistic, make them time bound, but keep them loose enough so that you can adapt around them. So as the world changes, then you can adapt your goal accordingly. I love it. Rob and I, I knew we were going to have a great convo. I know I could talk to you all day, um, but as all good things have to come, how can people find you, follow with your work you're doing and, and get in touch with you? It's very, very easy. My company is EI for change. That's EI emotional intelligence, the number four change so if you go to eiforchange.com you can find out all about the work that i do i have a range of emotional intelligence courses that could be taken online find them through eiforchange.com there's a free book that people can download um, i also have a a webzine a, a web-based magazine in which this podcast will feature and will be regularly promoted and that's ei-matters dot com so it's ei matters is the name of the magazine um go along and have a look at it it's completely free uh we have a a, a, a rotation of articles on a very regular basis uh we have podcast interviews there are free courses there are free quizzes just go along and enjoy yourself I love it. Thank you, Robin, uh, for all that info. And for the sh listeners, I'll have that all in the show notes for you. Uh, Robin, this was fun. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation and just enjoyed you taking time to just spend time with us here and, and share your wonderful wisdom, your life journey, and all those beautiful breaking the myths down when it comes to certain things that are like in our common language that we don't even realize. So thank you for thanks for all that. Victor, it's been brilliant. Thank you ever so much. It's been a wonderful experience. I wish you all the best and your listeners as well. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing it with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.